Of course, longtime jazz assistant coach. She's our good friend, Coach Gordy Chiesa. What's going on, Coach? Guys, I'm doing very well. Thanks for Redbone. Oh, man, it's the best part of my week. Thank you. I love this tune. Uh, Coach, uh, how was the weekend? You doing all right? Get outside in the sunshine? Oh, very much. Yeah. It was a glorious day, and hopefully you, everyone else is outside and just trying to enjoy the weather. Just like jazz basketball in L.A. right now. There you go. I bet they enjoyed a little weather yesterday. Uh, what did you think about uh, the overtime loss against the Lakers down all those players, Coach? It was disappointing only because the Jazz played so hard for the uh, for the for most of the game. So in, the, in that fourth quarter, the Jazz really, uh, really played a tremendous, outscored the uh, Lakers by 12 points. Unfortunately, the overtime it was, a, it was the opposite. They were outsc- outplayed, outfought 17 to 5. So as the Jazz go forward, I thought about the game was that they've got to get to the foul line more, taking an overtime game. And Gordon, they only shot eight free throws the whole game. And what you wanted, and the Jazz are a good foul shooting team, minus the uh, involvement of Rudy Gobert. So uh, Jordan Clarkson's first in the NBA in foul shooting, 94%. So he'd be the ultimate guy where you're trying to get him more touches in space, either driving to the ball. So you've got to be able to get to the foul line. And the second part of that, I know Manish Rudy and Derek Favors not being there, the Jazz were pounding on the boards, 52-37. to 37. And Andre Drummond and Montrose Harrell had their way in the lane right now. Hopefully tonight they will change def- definitely with Rudy being there. So I'm glad you brought up Andre Drummond because Jake and I have been arguing about his performance in that game. I thought he was really quite good. Jake is docking him major points for only getting eight rebounds. But I'm thinking 10 of 15 for 27 points, 7 of 8 from the free throw line is pretty darn good. What say you? I agree with you. Only because that he impacted the game. And so when he's in the game, he always coaches Havoc. He's like a Havoc player because he's so physical. And I know that he's in uh, other teams uh, where he only wanted to score the ball and rebound. He got high stats. But with the Lakers, he's on his best behavior in a good way. Also, by the way, he's a free agent on uh, August 2nd. So that he knows that if he plays well visually and that the Lakers do go deep in the playoffs, is that he will be rewarded. But with that said, and the most immediate thing on Saturday is that he – he impacts the lane, so you've got to be able to double-team him or body up on him, and he had his way in the lane so that he definitely was a factor in the game. Also, he has very light feet. It's amazing about him is that his quickness for a, a guy that size is really interesting. Coach Chiesa with us uh, here on the big show on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Um, Rudy is probable tonight. Michael Conley probable tonight, Coach. Those two coming back would make a, a big difference, I'm guessing, in how we uh, perceive tonight's game. Yeah, very much. And hopefully Derek might come back. You know, I know Ursa and Earl Sylvia, who had a tremendous game as far as on Saturday afternoon, I think he's out as far as reading the reports. So, so the question of Rudy right now is that he's got to put his body early on Drummond to get him off that uh, sweet spot in the lane and that he's got to maintain contact. So, again, it's that most unbelievable war within the war in the lane where you've got to be selective when you're the opposing rival. You, you, take, you, you go off his body to give help defense. And they have to, you have to get, uh, quickly get yourself back into play to go body on body. So what happens a lot of times with, with Rudy and with Derek Favors, because they're smart players, they're able to do both. They're able to stay body on body, give help and get back into the play. And that's why the Jazz are first in the NBA taking rebounding. 
So, again, the Jazz are first in the NBA in rebounding, however, on Saturday, and a very tough loss in Staples Center, they lose in overtime. Gordy, what do you make of uh, teams in this kind of uh, shortened season or compacted season uh, resting players or, or, or playing not playing players who they would play if it were, say, a playoff game or something like that? Are you okay with it? Is that a smart way to go? No. Is that would you minus an injury now? So I'm not saying the guy has a dramatic sore knee, where it's absolutely documented where his knee is sore. Hey, coach, uh, trainer, I need a day off. I get it. I have no problem with that. But just to rest people, and it it affects the general speaking of the team chemistry and rhythm. So if things were almost equal, and by the way, if you're a player, you want to play. You actually want to perform. So it's that fine line, minus an injury or your body is so sore because of the intensity of the game. Most times I lean towards playing. Coach, you've had an up-close and personal look at a lot of different NBA ownership groups over the years, and that's why I'm curious to uh, your reaction to the announcement last week that Dwayne Wade was going to become a part owner of the Utah Jazz. I think it's tremendous. One for Dwayne Wade, who's really a good guy, and he's, in a, he was a, he's a Hall of Fame player. So it's good for him as far as his career arc. Now, he said publicly many years ago when he first retired that he'd love to be an owner, a majority owner of his own team, which is a whole bunch of money. Now, we're not talking millionaires now. We're talking billionaires. So, that's, so, whether, so which means that hopefully in his career arc, he want to be the managing partner of an NBA team with – Usually hedge fund guys, I'm laughing at hedge fund guys, they, they buy the, most of the interest of the team, but the star player runs it. Okay. In the meantime, though, he buys a, a stake with the Jazz, with Ryan Smith, and they have a lot of commonality. They're both younger people. They both see the world differently in a good way, and that the Jazz are absolutely an elite team. And now it helps visually to get free agents. So if I'm a free agent and if I know that Dwayne Wade is going to be part of the ownership group, it's only going to enhance the, the chances of getting, quote, that free agent. Just be around Dwayne Wade type people. Donovan Mitchell has said publicly that it's one of his uh, uh, heroes as far as uh, how he plays the game. And ironically, both of them play the same as far as score, hustle, player, elite, talent, etc. That's Donovan. That was Dwayne Wade. So it's all positive. And in jazz basketball, we're very fortunate to have a Dwayne Wade-type ambassador representing the team as far as from ownership stake. So, Gordy, that, that answer is really fascinating to me. And Jake and I both, uh, I, I think Jake, I think you and I both agreed that that was the case. Uh, how big of an effect uh, can a Dwayne Wade have what kind of benefit will it bring the Jazz uh, in real terms, you know? Uh, do you think it will really sway, perhaps, a, a great free agent to come here? Well, if the money was equal, so the money is always the first equalizer. So if the range of money, okay, I would say, uh, Gordon would say uh, 24,000, 24 million versus um, uh, 20 million, that 4 million might not be too much. But if it's the same thing plus maybe an extra year, and Dwayne Wade's talking to you about his vision along with Ryan Smith, they're going to work in, in, uh, in, uh, in lockstep as far as 
again, for the Jazz right now, their goal is to be champions. They have all the ingredients of doing it. And at Larry Miller and Greg, uh, Larry Miller, late great Larry Miller and Gail Miller, they, they set their foundation, and Ryan Smith now is going to take it, hopefully, for consistency and to the next level. So Dwayne Wade will be able to assist the management team of trying to attract free agents, at least get in front of them and talk to them about the Jazz. Now, in Jazz basketball, we, Gordon, we've seen for the last 30-something years, is that it's very underrated. That there's such so many misconceptions about um, Utah and all the other things that people talk about that I know it's not true by being a native New Yorker, New Jersey, I, and living here for all these years. And so Drainway will help, again, add to another layer of bridging the gap of, uh, of, of informing people what a great um, state Utah is and Salt Lake City and the Jazz franchise. One of the Jazz franchise, you can make a discussion, the Jazz and the San Antonio Spurs are really, you can make a narrative that as far as being run in small markets are the best in the NBA. So, Coach, I want to ask you about um, coaching or, or counseling injured players because Donovan Mitchell uh, has, uh, you know, had that ankle injury. He's going to be reevaluated in a week. But I read, a, I read an anecdote about Allen Iverson uh, in his career, how when the, the training staff thought that he was really, you know, too banged up to play, they had to hide his uniform and his shoes or else he would just dress out and play. And that Allen Iverson actually tried to bribe uh, a worker at the arena to go to the mall to buy him a pair of basketball shoes so that he could basically decide for himself that, that he was going to play against the advice of maybe the training staff. And I guess my, my question to you is, is you know, how, how much does that differ among players? And as a coach, is it challenging to counsel players on the best way to handle injuries? Well, the counseling really is done by the trainer and by the doctors. Coaches are not involved. Whatever the trainers say and the, and the, doc, the team doctors say, the coaches are absolutely out of the equation. However, you're with the guys all the time as far as in the locker room and that you, you would reinforce whatever the athletic trainer, what he's saying. These guys are, Jake, they're top of their game, and they know the magnitude of Donovan Mitchell as far as how he impacts winning. However, with that said, you want Donovan Mitchell at 100%, both mentally and physically and spiritually, versus uh, 88%, because by the way, I want a ball tonight. And uh, this is a, in the big picture for, in jazz basketball, when the playoffs start, that is the most important thing. So the question is, is it 10 days from now, is it 14 days from now, that Donovan is 100% where he's confident that he can change speeds, uh, direction, and elevate up in the air and then crash to the floor and just bounce up again. I'm okay. Let's, let, let's ball. Gordy, as you look at the Jazz, as, uh, what's going on with him now and, and uh, the Donovan injury, and uh, sort of trying to regroup a little bit and keep everyone healthy. Do you think they win the West? Yes, I do. And that big game is the Phoenix Suns the next Friday night because the Suns, those guys aren't going away. I do. I think they win the West regular season. I do because of the schedule and the tenacity of the Jazz and that their three-point shooting ability. That when you make threes, it's the great equalizer in most of the game. However, in jazz basketball, I've been saying this, uh, you and I have talked about this many times over the year, and with Jake also, is that the jazz, they've got to try to slightly improve to force more turnovers and steals 
because as they go forward, the the rival team is going to take away some of their three-point shooting, not all. So the Jazz right now are 29th in forcing turnovers and 30 in steals. And so which means that even though they're good defensively, they don't generate striking plays to get into the open floor, which will help them get, uh, get Donovan Mitchell going downhill with transition to get fouled or Jordan Clarkson. So the better your defense is, the more times you in transition equals what? Either, rain, either uh, driving layups or getting fouled, which now stops the clock, which thus allows you to get your defense set. So Gordon, it's not one thing, it's everything. But the Jazz are right there as far as winning the West. You mentioned Phoenix, and let me ask you about Phoenix for a sec, Coach. And I know Chris Paul gets a lot of credit for you know being a missing piece there, and I think he should. Don't get me wrong. But if you look at DeAndre Ayton, his stats have taken a bit of a step back. He's gone from 18 points to 15. He's gone from 11.5 rebounds to 10.5 rebounds. But if you watch them play, he has really figured it out on the defensive side of the ball. And as a result, the, the Suns have the fifth-best defensive rating in the NBA. And I think that deserves as much credit in, in their improving as that Aiden has really figured out how to play NBA basketball. Very much. So Aiden right now is the first pick of the draft in 2018. He was a young talent, and now he's evolving into a winning, ultra-talented NBA player, and he's figuring out how to play defense. You mentioned, Jake, especially on the pick-and-roll, where most big guys are way too stationary. They're not engaged in the coverage. And so he's done an excellent job of learning how to play defense and being more consistent. That's the Chris Paul impact on the team. And Monty Williams, who's a terrific coach, very similar to Quinn Snyder, where they get, they're getting these guys to, uh, to be collectively engaged defensively. Also, Jake, Devin Book is in that group also as far as improved defensively. He used to play all the time called dishrag defense, where he run into the screen and then fall down at the screening level and just stay there versus now trying to navigate over or under on the screen. And if you do get beat on it, you keep making recovery plays to get back into the scheme, the scheme as far as helping your team. That little thing, Jake, is a huge thing, whether it's Aiton or Devin Booker. Chris Paul, tremendous player. What a leader. Age 36, he's as good as ever. Gordy, the the Jazz players, before the season ever started, they talked about wanting uh, no more first-round losses in the playoffs. With the absolutely stellar record that they've compiled to this point, is that kind of talk and a record like they've, they've compiled thus far, does that put added pressure on them come the postseason? Yes, of course. Jazz knocked out, unfortunately, back-to-back years, including that devastating uh, up 3-1 last year. Oh, by the way, that was last year. This is new, new year right now. However, with that said, though, is that, Gordon, most times in the fourth quarter, again, I'm going to paint the canvas with one stroke, I had the privilege of coaching 149 playoff games. So I saw it firsthand 149 times, meaning this. In the fourth quarter, the majority of the points are scored below the foul line extended. Meaning what? Gordon scores 97-97. We need a basket with four minutes left. I'm driving the ball or middle game and a high pick and roll. I'm coming off it. I'm not taking that, that quick three over the top. I'm getting what? Into shooting range. And I'm going to what? Hit that 19-foot shot or the 17-foot shot or the lane runner or the floater or twist layup. You make the call. 
So in jazz basketball, they've got to figure out how you play to your strengths of three-point shooting, but still in playoff games that as the defense is absolutely schematically sound, that they can find a way to score either at the foul line or below the foul line. So that's the pressure for the Jazz to find the, to, to stay with their core values, both offense and defense, but to generate points when you're not shooting well, especially on the road in the fourth quarter. Oh, by the way, in Jazz basketball, let's kill them by one on the road. Let's go home. Coach, I understand you have a list for us today. Yeah, Jakey, this list today, I've been thinking about it for the last uh, two days as far as the Lakers. There's so many Laker fans besides Jazz fans living in Salt Lake City via Southern California in 1995 when they moved here. All right, so this list is the all-time greatest L.A. Minneapolis Laker list. The 13 greatest players, and again, it's only my opinion, and if you disagree with me, which is gladly will happen, is that uh, text Jake and Gordon about your list. <laughs> the Laker franchise relocated from Minneapolis just quickly to L.A. for the 1960-61 season. And here's the last point about this. The Lakers are tied for the Celtics for the most NBA championships with 17. The Lakers won five crowns in Minneapolis and 12 titles when they in Los Angeles. All right, here we go. Here's the top 13 players of all time for the Lakers as they only wore a Laker uniform. Number 13, Byron Scott, three titles. Number 12, Michael Cooper, three titles. Number 11, heading to the Hall of Fame someday soon, Pau Gasol with two titles. Number 10, with five NBA titles, he's in the Hall of Fame, George Mikan. Number nine, in the Hall of Fame, with one title, Gail Gurvich. Number eight, in the Hall of Fame, with three titles, James Big Game Worthy. Number seven, one of the all-time greats of all time. He has so many records. Uh, again, it's only when he played for the Lakers with one NBA title in the Hall of Fame, Will Chamberlain. Number six, just died recently. We lost him way too early in life with uh, no NBA titles. Is in the Hall of Fame, one of the all-time greatest all-around players of all time, Elgin Baylor. Number five, with three NBA titles in the Hall of Fame. He works for TNT. We see him all the time, Shaquille O'Neal. Number four, one of the greatest guards of all time with one NBA title in the Hall, in the Hall of Fame, Jerry West. Number three, greatest Laker. He won five NBA titles. He's in the Hall of Fame. He invented the skyhook, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Number two, he did it with a smile with five NBA titles. He's in the Hall of Fame, Magic Johnson, and the greatest Laker of all time with five NBA titles. Going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame this year, Kobe Bryant. Thus, that's my list of the greatest Laker players via Minneapolis, L.A. Lakers. Gordon, you're our Laker aficionado on the show. Your thoughts? Uh, it's hard to argue. I think uh, Gordy did a real nice job there. Right. There's so many great Lakers. I mean, it's crazy to get them in the order. And, again, this is my opinion. And it's based on just playing for the Lakers. And the Lakers, oh, by the way, besides winning 17 NBA titles, Jake and Gordon, this is uh, unbelievable. They've been in 32 NBA final series, 32. The Jazz were in two, and in Jazz basketball, we all thought that was what? Tremendous, exciting. These guys have been in 32 NBA finals. 
Wow. You know, Gordy, I, I had forgotten that they won five titles back in Minnesota. Yeah, five. They were in, back in the 50s, way, way longer time, in prehistoric days. I get that, was that they won five titles led by, by George Mikan. And again, the Lakers have involved, so as Utah Jazz basketball, you can't say the same and in, in both organizations that they've evolved as far as player development, as far as the arena, as far as all the things you need to, to be in place. And by the way, is that you always say a silent prayer that there are very few injuries at, at, at a certain time. So it's, Jazz basketball is great. The Laker basketball also is, is, is legendary also. Last question for you, Gordy. Are there more lakes in L.A. or more jazz in Salt Lake City? Jazz in Salt Lake City. Hey, I've been to the Jazz Festival. It happens every year downtown. It's awesome. <laughs> yes, and, and Gordon's for listeners right now, uh, the 10,000 lakes of Minneapolis. I'm going to ask question all the time. Uh, wh- why the lake is called the Lakers? I mean, the beaches, L.A., Marina Del Rey. Yeah, right, I get it. Went from Minneapolis, the land of 10,000 lakes. That's yeah. why they're called the Lakers, only second to the Jazz. Why is those guys in Salt Lake City called the Jazz? We know why, because of New Orleans. Thank you, Coach. We always look forward to our conversations with you. Thanks, guys. Peace out. Stay well. That's our friend, Coach Gordon Chiesa, jumps on with us every Monday right here on The Big Show. I'm not kidding about the Jazz Festival. Salt Lake puts on a fine jazz festival, Gordon. Well, well, all right, then. Well, need to engage in that. Hopefully they'll have it this year. When is it? Uh, Usually it's during the summer. Uh Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, there, there's a bit of a, a jazz scene here in Salt Lake. I don't, uh, you know, certainly not New Orleans. I've seen that jazz scene. It's pretty uh, special, obviously. But uh, I'll tell you, uh, endorsement on the Jazz Fest, pretty fun.